What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Atlanta, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to a Wednesday night edition of Jonathan Taylor Thomas Talks Major League Baseball. John Taylor is here. I'm the Thomas portion of that name. John, good evening, sir. How are you? I really like that you have not given up this bit. It's it's impressive, the commitment. I, I'll never give it up. Like Rick Astley, you were never going to give it up. <laughs> we're in this for the long haul, John. Um, if, well, I mean, we still. I mean, we. I assume you're not going to. You don't want to do all 30 teams, but there's no, still not. many teams, especially now that it seems like actually maybe we might get some baseball. Absolutely, yeah. No, we're we're not doing all 30 teams. There's some teams that are just not interesting to talk about. Like we're not going to do 30 minutes in the Red we're Sox. Not. It's not happening. No, because because there's no way I could restrict my yelling about that to 30 minutes. And we're not going to do 30 minutes. It would be Braves. three hours of me complaining. This is the thing. This is this is. I, I understand everyone hates Red Sox fans, and, and understandably, do they? but especially the. Yeah, I mean it's a. Bo- I mean everyone hates Boston. I was going to say I think fans, it's just Boston. Like, I think it's Boston. But like with the, with the Red Sox thing, I think part of it is like it's the same thing as like the Patriot side of it, where it's like. I, in my lifetime, have seen four World Series championships in the last 16 years. I basically, every time there's a new president, I, I get a World Series win, more mm. or less. Um, well, the team we're talking with, about tonight gets a World Series win Each presidential every administration or term. Yeah, with every presidential term, or with every like, like congressional mid- I get a I get a World Series, basically. And yet I'm still here complaining about things I don't like. And so I can understand why people look at Red Sox fans and like, oh, the hell with that. What do you have to complain about? Well, I think it's here's what I'll give you. This is this is all this is the bone I'm gonna throw to you and Red Sox fans. Is that when you okay. grow up around an incompetent team for a really long time and then they finally figure right. it out and you get to taste the glory and you're like, Oh, I get to be a fan of a competent team again. And good ownership. We have good ownership for the first time in my lifetime. Like John Henry seems like someone. It's it's going to be good. Things are good. Theo's here. Whatever. Like we're we're feeling good. And then to go back the other way and go back to what you grew up around and go back to incompetence. I think 
that is a very tough thing to deal with because you're like, I thought we were past all of this. I thought we were done with this yeah, I think, this version of the Red Sox. I think for me, it was like, I I thought we were past being cheap right. and stupid. Exactly. And the Mookie Betts thing blew that all up. But regardless, we're, we're, we're supposed to be talking about another team that also has had a lot of success mm-hmm. in a short period of time, whose fans are somewhat less uh, horrible. Yeah, well, first, before we get into the Giants, um, I'd like to briefly talk about um, the MLB proposed... Um, latest return to baseball proposal. Um, I'm going to ask you just point blank. Do you believe the 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 owners were always able to pay prorated salaries for like 70 to 80 games? Yes. That's what I believe too. Like, I, I, and the people like, who get mad at the players like, for all this stuff is the players are right. Like the owners could have done this a month ago and they chose the owners, not to. The owners could have done the fact the fact that they're willing to do this now suggests they could have done it the whole time. Exactly. Like if this was if this was some if this were something so desperate for the owners that they really could not do it, then why are we at this point where they're now saying I mean part of it I think is, is obviously the fact that we're only talking about at maximum I think at this point going to be 70 games. Mm-hmm. But regardless like even if there here's the thing there are owners and ownership groups who would probably prefer the season just be canceled at this point because they're going to, they're going to lose money no matter what happens at this rate. Um, which is fair. Cause like, you know, not every ownership group is equal, but at the same time, one, they can all afford it because even those teams that are losing money in the process, those ownership owners or ownership groups still have more money than, than God basically. And two, if you are an owner of a major league baseball team, who cannot afford to run a major league baseball team sell your goddamn team. Why do you own a team if you cannot afford it? Right. It's, it's beyond and honestly, me. And it's if tough, you're it's losing tough. money right now for a couple of years, it doesn't matter because what you bought them for, it's <laughs> just the value that you exactly. have the, right now. The like, return on investment it. for right. every owner is insane. Exactly. Like for, for all that stuff about, you know, for, for all this stuff Bill DeWitt had about, um, owning a baseball team or being in the baseball industry is not profitable or whatever, which is it's bullshit. on its face. Like that man bought along with, um, yeah, as part of a group, he bought the Cardinals in 1995 for $150 million. If the Cardinals were put up for sale today, I guarantee they make the, you, they, the sale price would be at least $2 billion. He has already made, at minimum 10 times his investment right just on the sale to say nothing of whatever revenues the cardinals pull in on a year-to-year basis and that and that's a team in a uh, st louis is in a small market but you know they're not a big market either they're a medium market you know if the steinbrenner family for whatever goddamn reason decided to sell the yankees what do you think the yankees would go for i I, I, I hesitate to guess the yankees are like the yankees and the cowboys i would love to know what they actually would go for. Yeah, or, or if the Wilpons, if the Wilpons actually went through with it and sold the Mets, we're talking like two or three billion dollars, easy. And I think that'd be low, because the Wilpons aren't. And it probably would be low. So like that's the thing. None of these owners, with the possible exception of the Rays, and even then they probably the I'm sure, um, not knowing off the top of my head what Stuart Sternberg paid for the Rays, but I'm guessing it was. I'm actually going to look it up right now, just because I can. 
that doesn't, doesn't actually his Wikipedia page does not provide an actual. Well, the thing number. with the Rays but too is like was, whoever you sell them to, the prospective owner is buying them to move them. So they're going to pay more because they're like, oh, I can bring a team into um, Portland or Montreal. Or, and the other thing is, like, whoever, yeah. whoever the owner is probably isn't, is not paying for 100% of the team. Yeah. It's more likely than not a Bruce Sherman situation True. where they're only paying for part of it. Like when Sternberg bought the Rays, he only, he, he'd purchased a 48% share in them. Yeah. You know, there were other people as part of his buying group. Same Michael thing Jordan, with, didn't he buy with the, the Red Sox with John well, it's the same, like the same thing with the Red Sox with John Henry. John Henry didn't put up all the money for that. He just put up a significant chunk of it. Yeah. But like there, are, you can any bit any ownership group can always just keep adding rich people. Exactly. Because there's nothing more that these people like than being able to say, "I own or have at least own a portion of insert professional sports team here." It's a club everybody so wants like, to be involved I don't fucking, in. I don't know. Yeah, because it's the most exclusive club in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, owning a sports team, owning a professional sports team, there are only, I mean, damn, man, there are only four professional sports leagues in the United States that anyone really cares about. I guess five if you really want to extend it to include MLS. But, like, that, that you're talking about, in, in some total, somewhere from 100 to 150 to maybe 175 professional sports teams. That's it. That's a tiny, tiny club. And they all make so money. I, I, they all make a lot I, of money. And if you're yeah, upset that you're losing money for money. like a year, sell the team and make a billion dollars. Like you, we're not going to buy that. Like, Seriously. stop whining. Yeah, I, I'm not going to feel pity for the Wilpons or Bob Nutting or for you know Jerry Reinsdorf or anyone else who's crying about how they don't have the money to pay for a season when there are no fans. You've come on, man. You've already made so much money in the first place. But also just sell them. You'll be a billionaire. Like if you sell them after this year, because you're like, well, this sucks. I, I lost money this year. I want out. Great. You're going to make a shit ton of money. Stop whining. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like I just, there's no, there are minor league players here. that you're fighting over 300 or $400 a week with like that. That is something that you actually done. Like that is something we actually had to read in the, this summer. Paying minor leaguers yeah, versus three hundred, like it's all it's all stupid. But the positive outside of baseball coming back, which I'm very happy that it seems like fingers crossed, that's where we're moving towards. Um, then a universal DH, which about damn time, John. I don't know if you're on the same page with me, but it is something. This is something I tweeted out today. Um, you got very positive feedback, I would say. Um, there were a couple weirdos who were just like, I, I love NL baseball. And I'm like, what does that even mean? Do you do you really love NL baseball? Do you love watching Jair Jersians go one for seventy five for a three and a half month stretch? Do you really? Um, Seriously, I, I. It's dumb, but the University of H. I think it's one of those things. If we, if you and I pitched just the 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 game of baseball to people today, and you were like, well, we have a choice. We either can have a designated hitter who mashes 30 home runs and bats 185 at the bottom of your order, or we can have a pitcher hit one home run every three years and bat 25. What would you prefer? Would you prefer the strategy? No, it's it's one of those things where and I, and I think that's nostalgia's like, I think poison, man. Fans, I think once NL fans get the regular DH on a regular basis, I think a lot of them are going to be like, oh, this isn't bad at all. This is fine. 
And that's the thing. Like, I, I can't see the universal DH being something that causes any, any real, like, agita past, like, the initial early, like, oh, this is weird and I don't like it. Because ultimately, like, you're right. Like, you're getting a better, you're getting a better hitter in the lineup on a regular basis. There's no downside to that. There's literally no downside to that if you're, if you're, if you're a National League fan. The only downside is now the pitcher for your team has slightly more work to do. And in most cases, and I think uh, there are a fair number of people who have written about, I think um, the, I think the best one I've seen is Craig Edwards, the Fangraphs. I think it was Craig. We were basically, most NL teams can't even really take much advantage of the universal DH because their rosters aren't built for that. Right. You know, NL teams do not go into the off season thinking the Braves are need though. a bat doesn't play anywhere. The Braves are built for this. This is our are the, are the Braves? Oh, absolutely. Johan Cargo can just play third base and Austin Riley's full time. Oh yeah, good point. Good point. Good point. Like, and I know people said the Mets. Even the Mets aren't really all that well equipped for it. Unless yeah. Johan Cespedes is like fully back, then they're talking about a lot of mediocre hitters and like JD Davis and um, uh, who's their first baseman? Who was it? Pete Alonso. Oh, Pete Alonso. Um, Wait. Oh, um, the former. Oh God. Why am I blanking on this? Um. Wasn't he a first rounder who's kind of flamed out? What? Oh, why am I blanking on his Dom name? Smith. Dom, Dom Smith. Smith yes. Um, that always you're sounds wrong to me. Who was the outfielder hitter. in Philadelphia from a couple years ago who was a first rounder who never panned out? Was that a Dominic Smith too? Who was uh, you talking about Aaron Altair or Nick Williams? Neither. Hold on. Dominic. It was not Dominic Smith. Was it Roman not? Quinn? Roman Quinn is still there. Hold on. I'm about to look him up. Unless you're talking about like Cornelius Randolph, which would be a fantastic poll. Hold on, I'm looking right now. I'm looking right now. But continue. Roman saying. Quinn is still with the Phillies. He can't hit. Nick Williams was on the Phillies last year. He can't hit. Aaron Alter was on the Phillies last year. He can't hit. Now he's in Korea. Um, the Phillies have oh, a lot Dominic of Brown. Kind of Dominic Brown. Yes, for that one crazy first half. That was the name. But you know, I, I do think this is something where once, once the universal DH, once once people get used to it, I think the complaints will stop. Absolutely. I think people will realize better. This, is just, this is just better. It um, I'm excited. I'm excited that this seems like this is going to happen because part of the deal is they're going to have it for 2021 too, and then we have a new CBA, and then at that point it's just going to be part of the norm. People are used to it, and L fans are used to it, and it makes no sense to to go back after two years. Yeah, I don't. I don't think this is something. I don't think this is something where where after, you know, if you introduce it, I don't think this is something where you suddenly take it away. Right. I think this is probably something that's here to stay. So you better get used to it. Yes, I agree. Change is coming, it's folks. Too bad for the, it's, too bad for, it's too bad for the Giants, though, that now that they've lost Madison Bumgarner, they don't they don't <laughs> have their... I guess this is this is the bat signal for Wilmer Flores. Mm. Is the universal DH existing? Uh, because Wilmer Flores really should not be in the field ever, but... I thought you were going to say Buster Well, he also really should be hitting against right-handers. So, oh boy, the the death of Buster Posey. Just just the realization that for Buster Posey, his contract expires after I believe the 2021 season. Here it is exactly. He's got yeah, he's got a team option for 2022 for 22 million dollars that is definitely not getting picked up. And I can definitely see San Francisco re-signing him anyway to some kind of short deal or small deal anyway. But, I mean, they already have Joey Bart in the system. Their first-round right. draft pick uh, was a catcher as well. And that doesn't necessarily mean that, play. you know, either or both of them make it. But, like, you know, Buster Posey is 
he turned 33 in March. You know, this is, he has got almost 1300 games under his belt. You know, this is, this is right around the point when catchers start to just, where does he rank all time like catchers? Good question. I mean, we're talking career war of almost 42. So three probably rings somewhere in that. I mean, if you, if you pure, if you do it purely on a stats basis without, you know, the rings, without the, you know, the, the postseason stuff that obviously isn't entirely his. Um, my guess would be probably within the like 10 to 15 range, but I was thinking top 10. Uh, yeah. I can't say for sure. I mean, I'm looking at the jaws for catchers just purely based on Ward, which Posey ranks 16. Um, he mm-hmm. was only worth 0.9 more last year because he just really had a bad season, but he's only roughly three wins behind Bill Freehand for 15th overall. Okay. And if he can crack that top 15, everyone ahead of him, with the exception of Joe Maurer, who just retired, and I think will probably make the Hall of Fame. Oh, for sure. Thurman Munson, who, whose, whose career was simply too short because of, because of his untimely death. And Gene Tennis, who, honestly, I can't say I know particularly much about because he was obviously well before my time and yours. Um, everyone else is in the Hall of Fame. The problem for a guy like Posey, you know, this is obviously not a Buster Posey Hall of Fame conversation, is his career totals overall are pretty short. He has he's un, he's only got thirteen hundred eighty career hits, one hundred and forty career home runs. Um, he's only played twelve hundred fifty eight games, which is which is really given what what he's accomplished is really impressive. Like the next guy with that few games in that same WAR window is Buck Ewing who was a uh, 19th century catcher, so obviously a little different, but, you know, only played 1,300 games and was worth about 48 wins above replacement. Everyone else in this list, with the exception of, um, well, not the exception, but everyone else in this list is 1,400 games plus. And obviously this season, and and there's a lot to be said, I think, obviously, about how this season is going to complicate the Hall of Fame statistics and chances for a lot of guys because it's only we're only going to end up getting at most 70 games um but i don't know i I think posey assuming he can crack the 50 win mark which is honestly going to be kind of hard for him i think because he's already 32 33 you know he's clearly on the downswing this might be a mauer type situation where he needs to move to first base to preserve himself a little better to brandon belt there um he doesn't yeah, that's was just the other problem that the Giants really just have a lot a log jam in the infield through yeah. twenty twenty one. He's going to DH if anywhere. The, yeah, the, they could really use that universal DH. I think that's going to be good for them because now Posey can just play that a third yeah, season. Exactly. You know, or, or or whatever it ends up being. I think Posey probably gets the nod eventually anyway because he does have uh, the three World Series rings. The he's a six time All Star. He you know he's an MVP, the Rookie of the Year. Um, you know, a very well liked, like uh, one of those guys. Like nobody has a bad word to say about you know, just a popular person. Like not a not a great quote by any stretch. I was going to say I don't remember anything but, Buster Posey's ever said in my life. He's got a lot of Matt. No, Ryan-ness and that's by, and that's by design. And that's by design. Like he's not a con- he's not a guy who says controversial shit. No, but he's a guy that writers like because he is he's polite. He's well he's well intentioned. Like he's 
just a nice person. South and that obviously kid. will carry him far. And the fact that he will, he will at least spend the great majority of his career with one team, if not the entirety of it, and that he has been, along with Bumgarner, the face of that franchise for the best stretch in franchise history, or at least the best stretch in franchise history since moving to San Francisco, probably pushes him over the edge. Um, but when you look at it, at least now, like it's not a great case. Mm. You know, it, it, he's short in a lot of ways. I wonder you know, how much of it the, too, if the, he played for like the Orioles for the last 15 years. Do we look at him differently? Which would probably hurt, but like by the jaw standards, he is he's 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 above on peak, which makes sense because Buster Posey's peak was amazing. Right. But he's well short on career, and he's he's about five wins short in the pure jaw score. And obviously, not everyone is using jaws to determine Hall of Famers. And Posey, like Yadier Molina, is one of those guys who's going to benefit mm. from the voters. I think who aren't particularly statistically inclined. You're just going to look at Buster Posey and think to themselves, great hitter, great defender, MVP, three World Series rings. You know, how else do you define a Hall of Famer? Right. Um, he's, he's obviously going to benefit from those guys, but at least from the purely statistical categories. Like, you know, he's, he's short on the advanced stats. He, again, only has 1,400 hits. And the list of guys who've gotten into the Hall of Fame with under 2,000 hits is short. You know, 2,000 hits is really kind of like, is a really important benchmark. Um, Where is he at now? And obviously, he. he He's at 1,380, so he's got time to get there. there. You know, he's got, I mean, it's going to be tough because he's already 33. He's still 600 plus hits short. Obviously, this this half season basically is going to kill him in that regard. But, I mean, the funny thing is you look at his numbers, he is quite honestly not far off from Jorge Posada. Mm Mm-hmm. He's a better, he's a better defender than Jorge Posada is. And he had a better peak than Jorge Posada did. He was better in his prime. He obviously won the MVP, which Jorge Posada never did, but they both have the same rings argument. Mm. They're both parts of really important core teams for championship squads. At least on the, and Posey will probably will almost certainly finish his career with better numbers than Posada. Was Although there, I, was I there think a juicing question with him? I, not really. Posada, Jorge Posada hit almost 300 home runs. He was really a great power hitter for a catcher. But Were there juicing stuff with him? That, I don't remember. With Posada, no. Yeah. I don't recall ever hearing anything okay. like that. But that the problem for Posey is the last few years have just, the last couple of years have really just been kind of slow. Um, he obviously lost time with that knee injury that cost him um, basically the entirety of the 20, like most of the 2011 season. Like the last two years have just been bad for him. There's, you know, it's a genuine question as to whether or not this is just kind of a slump or the beginning of the end. And certainly while while Posey is a better defender than Jorge Posada, I don't think there's any real question about that. And he's got a little bit more in terms of hardware. Right now, the numbers are pretty much similar. And granted, Posey's got more, obviously Posey's got time to build on that and probably will. And I imagine he will probably finish somewhere in that, you know, 45 to 48 war territory. That's like that's only on the cost. I think he gets in anyway because, like I said, he's got all the all the non advanced like. But I also don't think he finishes in. But it's I mean, be, in uh, San Francisco. I, I, I think, think he winds up in like Boston or New York. I think he he does a couple. I years. think what I think what's going to be instructive is to see what happens to Joe Mauer. Hmm. 
because Maurer has Posey beat across the board in career wins of overplacement, in Jaws, in all the in all the various counting stats. Um, Maurer, obviously, one of the great defenders at his position when he was playing it, an MVP himself. I believe he won the Rookie of the Year. No, he didn't win Rookie of the Year, but he did win the MVP. You know, three-time Gold Glover. You know, six-time All-Star, just like Posey. Didn't win the World Series ring, but you know. Some people will ding him for that. Those people are very stupid. Um, the face of a franchise, obviously, in Minnesota. He transitioned with I mean, power. Like, different. that was just ridiculous that he just and became an OBP machine, that's leadoff thing, guy. Yeah, I mean, Maurer was just a great player overall. Right. His Hall of Fame game is going to be really interesting because I think it's going to be instructive for Posey as to what, it's going to, what Posey's going to look like. Because for all intents and purposes, Posey, I mean, the, the Posey beats Maurer in peak. Or actually, no, he doesn't beat Maurer and Peak, but he's really close. Um, but he's he's gonna be probably short of Maurer in all the counting stats. He's almost certainly gonna be short of Maurer in career wins of replacement. He's 14 behind them right now. It's really gonna rely on a lot of the voters who look at Posey and see the three World Series rings before they see anything else and the MVP award. You know, and then I guess that's a, that's the thing with catchers, like. You know, Johnny Bench, Barry Carter, you know, Yvonne Rodriguez, those are those are the exceptions to the rule. You know, Colton Fist, very catchers are the you know, the big peak guys. They're not the career longevity guys. I mean, hell, they're only six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen catchers in the Hall of Fame. Fifteen, sorry, Rick Farrell's in there, but Rick Farrell shouldn't be. Um and Roy I mean Roy Campanella's in the Hall of Fame for reasons obviously beyond his playing career. Um I believe Roger Bresnahan is in for reasons beyond his playing career. Ted Simmons got in, but through the Veterans Committee. So it's hard for catchers to get into the Hall of Fame. So that'll probably help Posey, too, is that the standard is just a little lower for catchers. But yeah, it's, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to watch. And I think the, the interesting thing is going to be in... Uh, when did Maurer retire? After the 2019 season? No, after 2018. 20, uh, after the 2018 so when he goes on the Hall of Fame ballot in 2023, I believe it is, 2024, whatever year it is, it'll be really interesting to see what he does because I think that's going to be really instructive to what Posey's response, what Posey's, um, uh, what the response to Posey is going to be when he goes on the ballot. Gabe Kapler is the Giants manager, and oh boy, that's like one of those weird things we just we moved on from. The Giants managerial search got really weird, and when a lot of different rabbit holes and Kepler stuff in Philly. Like it will always go down as a weird thing because I think at the time we were all in, right? We were just like, Oh, getting Kepler and he's a smart guy. He good fit in Philadelphia. I, I like, think there was, I think there was the idea that he had come with this reputation of being one of the smart guys in yes. the Dodgers front office and heading their farm system who had very clearly taken on this label and persona of, you know, I'm into analytics, I'm into the advanced stats, but I'm not like a, but, but I also, you know, have a, a human touch, so to speak. I also, there was this idea carbs. that gave Kepler. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I lick ice cream and then spit it out because like, <laughs> I'm a weirdo, but there was this idea that Gabe Kepler was this ideal marriage of someone who can relate to players, but someone who also understands advanced analytics and who cares about that stuff. And it, it just doesn't really seem like in Philadelphia he really was able to make that work. Right. You never really got the sense that he... Gabe Kaplan, to me, in Philly, always had the feel 
of a guy who gets to the front of a line at a, at a takeout restaurant, asks for something, and then is told they're out of it and has no idea what his second choice is. And so he's just standing there kind of frantically scanning a menu going, uh, and like, he just always had that feeling like he was just overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Like, like the game was moving too quickly for him, which is something I think, you know, you, you talk to older baseball types. And that's the thing they always say is like, when you become a major league manager, the speed at which the game moves, the speed at which you need to make decisions and not just make decisions, but make decisions that you're confident in, you know, that you believe in, that you're, that you, that you can explain and that you can defend is like, it, 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 there's no comparison. Even for guys who've managed in the minor leagues for years, that, that shift is still big. And Kapler managed in the minor leagues for a grand total of like half a season with uh, the Red Sox low A team back in like 2012 or something. You know, he really had no experience being a manager. He only had experience kind of being a, a guy who worked with prospects sometimes. And that Philly clubhouse, while it definitely had its share of young guys, also had a share of guys like Jake Arietta who were simply not here to deal with guys like Gabe Kapler. Right. Um, I just, I found that hire so strange for, for one, it's like Kapler failed in Philly. Like there's, yeah. there's no, there's no sugarcoating it. Like right. you can, you can, you can debate whether or not he was set up to fail in the sense that the Phillies were not a well-constructed roster, which they weren't, or whether Matt Clentac did a good job, which he hasn't. And I, I, I do think like, you know, if this had been a normal season, this probably would have been like Clentac's make or break year. But he didn't do well. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's no real anything you can point to in Philly where you're like, oh, Kapler did that well. He just got a bad rap. This isn't Joe Girardi getting fired by the Marlins after winning manager of the year because, you know, his cheap the, the team's cheapskate owner didn't want to pay him or whatever. You know, this is a guy who, who I think when he got fired, everyone was like, Yeah, that makes sense. Right. No we were surprised it didn't happen that. sooner. Like that was one where it's just like I can't believe yeah, this was, is still that happening. Yeah, that was the weird thing. But it took so long, and yet here's Farhan Zaidi burning up a lot of whatever capital he had with Giants ownership, the Giants fans, with the team itself, and not just burning up capital, but also like this is the guy you choose to replace Bruce Boshi, like a legend. Everybody you know him. a a a. Everyone loved Bruce Bochy, a figurehead with that organization, like the most important manager the team has had in God knows how many years. This is the guy you go for, the guy who just seemed just overwhelmed with his job and just on top of that has some extremely problematic history with regards to um, the the sexual assault. Yeah. Scandal's not the right word, but you know, whatever it is that happened with the Dodgers, with um, with the stuff that he, you know, should have reported and didn't kind of seemingly sort of kind of covered up and whatever association he's had with the various illegalities that the Dodgers uh, scouting department and farm system have dealt with over the last 10 years, basically. It was really, it could like, it wasn't the first choice. Like Like it felt like their ninth choice. But it's the thing is, it felt like Zaidi's first choice because of the LA connection Mm. that they had. And because of whatever, I think impression he had that, Kapler is, like I said before, that ideal marriage of former player who can relate to guys, but also flexible, analytics-oriented dude who understands the game at a higher level. Because really, if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna put a or appoint a manager for a team run by a guy like Farhan Zaidi, that's pretty much what you're looking for. You know, 
it, it's, his, it's his version of Dave Roberts. Philly? Like, was that not the same? I think he, I think he did. I just don't think Kapler was the right guy for a variety of reasons. And I think that's what confused me is that Kapler had the feel after he got fired by the Phillies of a guy who spends a year or two no, not managing. Maybe he does color commentary. Maybe he does studio work. Maybe he does. He goes and works in a front office. He kind of rebuilds his reputation, and then he gets back into managing with a a, a more low profile gig. He did not have the feel of someone like a Joe Madden where the moment he gets fired, you have another team interested in him. And like for all the faults Joe Madden has, and they are many, um, at least in my mind, Joe Madden at least point to the fact he ran, he managed a team to a world series Mm -hmm. and he managed another team to a pennant. Like, and he is regarded, you know, rightly or wrongly as one of the better managers in baseball, even if his shtick is just, just insanely irritating. Kapler has nothing to point to. He's got two mediocre years in Philadelphia where he seemed like he did not know what he was doing the majority of the time, where it seemed like he pissed off the veteran players a lot, mm-hmm. where it seemed like he mismanaged the young players a lot. And so it's like, what, what, was, what exactly is the appeal beyond, what, beyond the ideal that Gabe Kapler represents? That's what I kind of have not understood the about Osmus that. the question, player. too? Where to a like, certain degree, and, really and I think Osmus, and he's a former player. These guys don't come out very often. Where like that seems to be a obvious connection where the front office and today's MLB front offices they're more comfortable with somebody like this. Like the Osmus Kapler idea is better than any other former player term manager, right? Where they're like, oh, he gets it. I, like we can bring this guy in, and he understands what we want. But the, the it's the personal and stuff. I think and I think Osmus. I, mean, I think Osmond's is a good comparison because, like you said, he's a former player, so he gets it from that side. But he also seems like someone who gets it from a, you know, at least understands that the game is different and changing. But regardless, it just seems like the actual aspect of managing, of deciding, you know, this pitcher is done. I need to bring in this pitcher. I have to pinch it here. I have, like, all these tactical, not just tactical decisions, but all these decisions that happen around the margins of working with these guys. He just, like, Osmond's just was an awful manager in Detroit. And the Angels very clearly didn't see enough of him in one year to think we're going to keep him around for any longer. Like, that's, it, that's just not a good sign that they just immediately are like, no, we're done with this. Especially when you give and that's Mike Sosha, like, 25 years. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I figured Kapler would be a guy who would need to wait another year or two before he got another opportunity. But instead, Zaidi just jumped on it first chance he got. And I, I just find that because I... I don't know. It's just, what's especially weird to me is that the Giants have a guy who at least meets all the criteria that Gabe Kaplan already does already within the organization in Bam Bam Newlands. Mm. A guy who is very well regarded throughout the game, who has been interviewed for manager jobs. I think, he, I think he finished second to Aaron Boone for the Yankees job, or at least was, was one of the finalists for that gig. You'd think to yourself, like if the if the Giants want a guy who can relate to players on an individual basis as a former player, and who seems like he has a grasp on where the game is going, like on an intellectual analytical level, Henley Mullins is right there. What does Gabe Kapler bring to the table that Henley Mullins doesn't? And I mean, we'll we'll see. We will see what Gabe Kapler makes of Opportunity 2.0, but just at least from the surface, at least from the from the from the outside. It's just hard for me to see exactly what it is he offers 
that well, he's... basically made Zaidi just not not even sacrifice capital, but just decide like just focus with intensity. Like this is my guy. Because now to a certain point, and I don't think Zaidi's, I don't think Zaidi has a short leash. I think the Giants' ownership no. has basically decided, do like this is yours, figure it out. But at the same time, like if Kapler doesn't work, that's a strike against him, and he already has a fan base that is very unhappy with him for more or less tanking. Because that's what the Giants are doing. I know we haven't really talked about the roster at all, but to be fair, it's not a good team. But There's they're old. Not really a lot. They're here. top four. They're Their old. first four hitters are going to be Brandon Crawford. Evan Longoria, Brandon Belt, Buster Posey in a couple weeks. Yeah, all of those guys are 32 and old. When we think about tanking, we think young teams that aren't spending on veterans and they're just bad. Yeah, tanking... This tanking is a different is right form. It's more just realizing... It, this is more just like, this is the delayed rebuild that this team probably should have embarked upon when the Cubs knocked them out of the division series in 2016. But... This is not, regardless Regardless of what the direction is or was, it's not a good team. You know, out of a 70-game season, this team probably wins 30 games. There's just, there's just not a lot here to work with. You have an old infield, a, a totally kind of up-in-the-air outfield with the exception of Mike Yastrzemski, who really kind of came out of nowhere. And to that extent, you're kind of thinking to yourself, how real is that? Um, well, I'll ask you, how real is it? That, because that's a huge thing for what they're going to be this it's year a huge what question. He is. yeah and like a pitching staff that's old too you know the top two starters here johnny cueto and jeff samarjan they're both over 34 and i don't know obviously we'll have to see what if the season happens what the trade deadline looks like but i can't imagine both of those guys will be there forever or watson you know a lot of you know it's a lot of question mark types with like kevin gaussman and drew smiley and um you know, the kind of mess of kind of like Tyson Ross, you know, I, I get it. This is a team that is, that is, that has its eye on like two years from now when a lot of these guys like Belt and Posey and Crawford and Samarja and Cueto, when their contracts are off the books, when younger guys like Heliot Ramos, like Joey Bart, like, uh, like a lot of, you know, the young pitchers they have, like, uh, Sean Yelly and, uh, Logan Webb and Tyler Beatty, when those guys are, you know, ostensibly at least, if not in the majors, close to the majors or already producing in the majors, you know, and that probably includes guys like Yastrzemski and Steven Duger and, um, uh, and Alex Dickerson and whoever else they dig up, you know, Mar- Mauricio Dubon is a really nice pickup for Drew Pomeranz. You know, th- there's a, there's some good youth there ostensibly that in a couple of years they'll see like, okay, this is the next good giants team. But it's going to be a while until they get there. It's going to be painful until they get there. And there's no guarantee that any of those guys work out really. Um, it, it's just, that's the thing about Zaidi is that he's already going to have to basically eat a lot of shit from here until like 2022. Cause there's not really a whole lot on the current giants to care about at the moment. It's just a whole lot of like, if so, if a lot of things go right, this team maybe finishes 500. Maybe. More likely than not, they are a last place team in the division, which is really saying something given how bad the Rockies are. But they're also an older team. Like, you and know, if that top four performs and well, and they don't trade Samarja and Cueto because of the weird season that we're in, and Watson's an awesome guy, and they don't miss Will Smith at all, like there's an easy avenue to me to see them still contending for the NL Central or for the NL wild card. Like sure. it, it still sits there sure. because they're older. 
and Yastrzemski could be a real guy. And I don't know. It, it would not surprise me at all if they were in the wild card running. It wouldn't, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me, but I think more likely than not, and again, depending obviously on how the, the, if, uh, if divisions change or don't, depending on how that shakes out, that this is probably a last place team. Do you because you're asking be worse for a Rockies? lot of older guys. I don't. The Rockies have, if nothing else, the Rockies have Nolan Arenado and Trevor Story, who are better than anyone on the Giants. Yeah. And you could probably include Charlie Blackman there, too. And I know, obviously, baseball is not its not basketball, where three good players means you're all of a sudden a contender. But And the Rockies, obviously, also are just an insanely poorly run franchise. But I don't know. I, I think those, if, assuming the NL West stays the NL West, I think those two teams will be battling for the basement all year because there's just not, there's just not enough talent on either roster to rip off the kind of sustained runs you need to be a contender. Like this team is going to struggle to, if, if those older guys don't magically, you know, subtract five years from their, from their careers, they're going to struggle to score runs. There, there's not a lot in the way of run production in this lineup. You know, Cueto Samarja Galsman is not bad. It's fine. You could do a lot worse than those three is at the top of your rotation. You could do a lot worse than the bullpen the Giants have, even though I don't think it's very good. But that offense is really going to be a problem. And so you're talking about a team that's going to have to grind out a, a, like three dozen, two to three dozen, assuming that, you know, if we get a 70-game season, you're going to need to win at least like, okay, let's say three dozen. You're going to need to win at least like 35 games to get a playoff spot, right. let's say. You're grinding out so many two to one, three to two, four to two wins. But this is a team that can do that's, that. That's a, this is a team that is built for if that. Everything goes right. If everything goes right with their vets, yes. I just don't see enough going right for them in that regard because the old guys they're relying on are old, and not just old, but, but like you're not all relying of them on them for the 162 way. games. That is actually something worth noting, and you're right on that, that half a season is probably better for older teams like this. Yes. Because a lot of these, these guys are going to come into the season fully rested, and they're, you're, like you said, you're not going to have to, to ask them to carry a full load. You're just asking them to play half a season. Correct. And maybe that helps too for injury-prone guys like Brandon Belt, especially if you do have the Universal DH, and you can float Belt and Posey mm-hmm. and Crawford and Longoria, and Penn, especially now they have Hunter Pence, too, just yes. slots into that role perfectly. You know, you have this spot where you can give these guys a day off while still keeping their bats in the lineup, and you don't have to, like, hit, uh, you know, Rob Brantley or, <laughs> or Wilmer Flores on the regular. Yeah. You really hate you know? Wilmer Flores. He's not good. That's just, I, I like Wilmer Flores in the abstract, but he's just not a good player in anything <laughs> except for hitting left handed hit pitchers. Mm hmm. It's it's actually funny they got him right when Madison Bumgarner left for Arizona because he's going to be the guy who's going to be in the lineup every time they face the Diamondbacks and Madison Bumgarner. Hmm. So you feel about and, that, and that's the thing like, I just, that I feel about Nick Markakis. I don't know. You hate Nick Markakis. I really do. At least with India and Ciarte, like great defender, all time great defender. Nick Marquez does nothing. I just think the thing with this Giants team is it's it's just a creaky roster, and yeah, half a season will be better for them than a full season, obviously. But I just think ultimately you're you're asking a lot of you're asking too many guys to turn back the clock. Crawford, Longoria, Belt, 
Posey, Pence, Cueto, I don't Samarjo, think you're asking them to turn the clock. I think you're asking them to be good for two and a half months. Are they even capable of that anymore? I do. I, I think they are. Yes. For two and a half months, I do. Again, I, I think I, I agree with you. I think that if this were somehow a wild card team, I would be surprised, but I wouldn't say it's like, it, it wouldn't be the same like the Orioles or the Marlins winning a playoff spot. Right. Like, Guido, Shamarja, like, Gaussman, like, those three just all being really good, that would not surprise me. Like, Gaussman, I still think, is, like, just a huge one way or the other, having watched him in Atlanta and everything. Like, it would not surprise me to see the Kevin Gaussman experience go one or two ways. Um, but I just... I like Watson a lot. I like, I just, I like this group. I think they're going to be fine. I think if you think about where they're weak, it's just young guys that aren't going to play that much. And um, as you know, I'm the biggest Alex Dickerson fan on planet earth. So uh, he's going to be great. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, who, who could be nervous? And that's the thing, like that, that, that outfield, that outfield is a real concern because you don't know how real the worst outfield in baseball. You don't know how real, you don't know how real Dickerson is. Duger, Dickerson obviously has a lot of injury issues too. Duger had that shoulder surgery that really makes you wonder if he's basically just a poor man's Jackie Bradley Jr. Like your backup center, your your backup outfield right now is Billy Hamilton, which dear God no. Like, yeah. and in terms of what they have in the minor leagues, like there's not really anything there yet. You know, the the guys who are kind of like Heliot Ross is still at least a year away, I'd say. You know, that's their top outfield prospect. Maybe a guy like Jose Siri makes an impression. Or maybe and, and this is actually a name that I would have been really interested to see, you know, if you would have made the team out of spring training, is Darren Ruff. Mm. Not an outfielder, should not be an outfielder by any stretch of the imagination. But raked in KBO. One of those dudes who put up like Marcus Timms or not Marcus Timms, sorry, Eric Eric Dames level stats in KBO, you know, would be, in, would be really interested to see what he's capable of doing. But there, there are some names here you're, you're interested in them. Like, like Mauricio Dubon, I'm really interested to see what he can do. But, you know, the, the outfield is weak. There's no rotation depth. The bullpen is just a lot of question marks. You know, a lot of guys. Are you a Derek like, eh, Maybe. No, he, he does not get nearly enough strikeouts for me to, to, okay. to make any kind of difference. Um, I love his Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman tattoo. That thing's really <laughs> funny. But yeah, I also there, wouldn't just, be surprised there, there if they traded for somebody. Like everyone's just expecting that they're just showcasing Cueto and Samarja and Belt and friends. But like, I wouldn't be surprised if Zaidi took this job because he wasn't going to do the full teardown. Like, I don't think we're going to see San Francisco do the full teardown. I think they actually might acquire somebody. I don't, I don't I don't think we'll see a full teardown. I think we'd see more likely than I think well here's the thing. If they had not pulled off that run around the around the June or July or whenever it was last year that had them briefly in the playoff conversation, mm-hmm. I think they probably would have moved Baumgartner and um well they they did end up moving Mark Melanson and uh Promerans, but I think they would have moved Baumgartner too. I don't think so. Will Smith, I guess, was the other guy. Well, Will Smith, they wouldn't have moved because they got the draft pick. So the Braves signing him, they get a good, they get a good pick for him. But like, I, I, I think that we didn't see that teardown last year because, quite honestly, circumstances conspired against Farhan Zaidi to do it. I don't think he because wants ultimately, to. Even I think he they, took this job because he doesn't want to do that. I think San Francisco is a big market and they've won so much. Well, I don't, recently. I don't think, I don't think they want to do it. I don't. 
I don't think he wants to do an Orioles style teardown where they're terrible for like four straight years and lose 110 games every year. But at the same time, I don't, I don't see him. I don't see him buying in on this current roster in the sense of like the, the window's not open anymore. Mm. This is not a world series winning team, not right. by any stretch of the imagination. Like, I don't see him being the kind, being kind of blinded by that and going, "Let's go all in and just do it." Like, not all this in. Isn't a like, fire I think he's looking for his, his Justin Turner. Like, I think that's what he's doing. Is I think that's what. They're oh no, that's yeah, on. and I think, and, and I agree with that. That this is a team that's going to scour the waiver wire, and you're already seeing that with guys like Yastrzemski mm-hmm. and Donovan Solano, and 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 we'll see with Galsman and Smiley. Although I guess they no, they signed Smiley in the winter. Um, you know, with, and with just rotating guys in and out of the bullpen, like this is definitely a team that's willing. And you saw that last year already; they're willing to just shuffle like crazy to find right. guys who work. Um, Which is I what the Dodgers do. The and the Rays do. Be, like that's like the same style. I just don't think this is a team that's going to be. I just don't think this is a team that's going to be buying at the deadline or whatever the deadline ends up being. Is there going to be a deadline? Like a thirty game deadline this year? <laughs> it's going to be very stupid. We're, it's going to be like if the trading <laughs> deadline existed in May one. Can you imagine if the, said, the right? Nationals last year had to do this? Because like the Nationals were nineteen and thirty one to start last year and they won the title. Can you imagine how different it would have been if they yeah. had to make real choices at that point to be like, what are we? Oh. Yeah, and there's a and then there's a lot to be said, I think, about the the silliness of creating basically a small sample size catastrophe for the seventy game season. But at this point, what's the other option it's just not no playing, i want it which, like i don't care like i hope it's a really playing. weird year this might be the only <laughs> chance that the a's have to win a title this is it the twins yeah let's do it like i want to see something weird happen like the, yeah give me weirdness because but we're never going to have this ever again um but to wrap up here on the giants i think they're not going to finish last i think that's got the rockies written all over him um I think they're going to be fine. I think they're they're going to be sneaky okay. They're going to hover around 500 and they're going to have to make tough choices on like if we're in the playoff chase and we can make the playoffs and especially with an expanded playoff do we really move Samarja or Cueto or any of those guys if they're having career years? Like do we do we do that? And I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what Farhan does because this is this year next I think is going to be very fascinating. I don't think we're going to get any real answers to Gabe Kapler. Um, this year, but um, I don't know. I think the Giants are going to be an interesting watch for sure because veterans who are kind of tanking is something you rarely see in sports, and I, I, I commend them for this. Well, I also do think part of it is that last year, the veterans in that team, with I imagine Bumgarner being a very, very loud voice in this particular regard, would not let them tank with where they were at the deadline and where they were within the playoff chase, I have to imagine that Zaidi knew if I tear this team apart, I will lose the clubhouse forever. And that's not, especially with Boshi there too. And Boshi being in that last season, I think there was an element of like, let's, let's let these guys go out on their own terms. And I don't think that's going to be there this year because I don't think anyone is expecting this team to do anything this year. I think it's going to be a lot easier for Zaidi to say, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to start I'm going to start getting rid of some of these guys who've been here forever. And maybe that's what he does, but um I don't know. And that's what I like. I like the I don't knows. Um we're going to get 
eventually on this podcast, John. We're eventually going to get these, um, like, we're going to get Farhan on this podcast at some point. We're going to get GMs, and we're going to pick their brains. That's, I like that. I like the good idea. Okay. Because if you're up for it, I mean, you're the long-term MLB correspondent on this podcast now, John. Which is really saying something because I do not have a job doing that, so. <laughs> well, if I had any say and I could do it for you, I, I would make sure that that was no longer the case. Well, I appreciate that. Because I miss reading your, your stuff. That's how we got started with all this as I was reading you years ago. Like, that's that's how this all got started with was me reading you right about baseball. So, um, if I'm ever in that position, you can hold me to it, John, that I will ensure I, I will definitely do that when you when you win the lottery. It's not about winning when you the lottery. win the Georgia Powerball. No, if I have my own website one day, if I have my own the ringer ver- like a Jace, just run better, then uh, that could be <laughs> that. Uh, th- that's a thing. That you're my first call for yeah. Major League Baseball. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, um, it's good. Um, wow, we're wrapping up really nicely. We we love to wrap up nice in this podcast. We, we love to wrap up, don't we, folks? <laughs> we love to wrap up. Um, we're not going to speak on that anymore. John, thank you so much, as always, good sir. And um, next week, who are we talking about? We we forgot to mention. Who are we talking about next week? Oh, good question. Um, obviously, it's going to depend, I think, at a certain point. It's like what's going on baseball-wise. But you know who's kind of interesting to me if we do get this expanded playoffs thing? Is a team like Cleveland. Okay. I'm just going to curse Where, we talk about or, Cleveland next week. Or the White Sox. Oh, now you're speaking my language. The White Sox, I, I'm in on. The White Sox, if we if we do actually get expanded playoffs, is that actually is part they're of whatever a, the deal a good is? Dark horse, yeah. Yeah, they're they're the Padres of the AL of the American League. So, Which, you know, in of, many ways, a lot of levels to that because the Machado stuff. So there you go. Yeah. So um, I, I think the White Sox are a good are a good one to land on. Okay. White Sox it is. White Sox next Wednesday. John, I'll talk to you soon, buddy. Thank you so much, and uh, talk next week. Yep. This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.